Hello, my name is Michael, and you're listening to Pharma CR. Like I never thought in a billion years that a drug, that a, a one little pill that I can buy over the counter would cause this much damage and. Um, Hardship to me, you know. All my children know that mommy's addicted to Tylenol, and uh, it's it's not nice for my children to know that their mother's a screw up, and you know that I need help. That is one of my current methadone patients, and you'll be hearing more about her experience later in this episode. Who am I? Who was I? Who can I be tomorrow? Health Canada is accepting comments until November 8th regarding possible changes to the Controlled Drug and Substances Act that would require all products containing codeine to be sold by prescription only. My co-host for this episode today is Stephanie Rankin, a fourth-year U of T pharmacy student. The intended audience of this program is healthcare professionals. Please contact your healthcare provider for specific advice. After looking at all the issues surrounding OTC codeine products, we have no doubt that this change is a step in the right direction. Some pharmacists are hesitant about this change because they believe that OTC codeine products can be a safe option for acute pain, headache, or cough. Some pharmacists believe that access to OTC codeine can help certain patients manage their long-term, difficult-to-treat conditions. And some believe that limiting access to OTC codeine will drive those who are dependent on it to more dangerous and illicit options. Our goal for this episode is to convince you that none of that is true. First, let's talk about why OTC coating products are not a safe or appropriate recommendation for acute pain, headache, or cough. Codeine is converted into its active metabolite, morphine, by CYP2D6. For the average person, only 5-10% to of a codeine dose is converted to morphine. The 8 milligrams of codeine in a tablet of Tylenol-1 is equivalent to approximately 1 milligram of morphine. However, metabolism is extremely variable between individuals, which makes OTC codeine very difficult to use safely. Essentially, when you are giving codeine, you are giving morphine, but at a dose that's impossible to pinpoint. Depending on ethnicity, anywhere between 2 to 30% of the population are ultra-rapid metabolizers, meaning they are receiving a much higher dosage of morphine with each codeine dose. Therefore, for these patients, when you are selling a bottle of over-the-counter codeine, you may be essentially selling the equivalent of a bottle of morphine 5mg tablets. And I think most pharmacists would find selling morphine over-the-counter to be dangerous. The consequences of this genetic trait can be devastating as evidenced by a case in 2006 in which a Canadian woman was given one tablet of Tylenol-3 every six hours post-surgery. Her breastfed infant passed away from morphine overdose. They found the amount of morphine in her breast milk to be 10 times the appropriate dose for an infant. In 2013 in the U.S., 
the FDA issued a black box warning on codeine products, warning of codeine's effect on ultra-rapid metabolizers. This warning was provoked by incidents of death in children being given codeine for pain control following tonsillectomies and other procedures. The warning also states that accidental ingestion of even one tablet of codeine, especially by children, can result in fatal overdose. In April 2017, the FDA issued their strongest type of warning, making codeine contraindicated for children under the age of 12. Adult patients that are ultra-metabolizers may not overdose on a single dose of codeine. However, they are at greater risk of side effects and also may experience excess euphoria, which will put them at a greater risk of dependency. On the other hand, some individuals are poor metabolizers of codeine, thus making OTC codeine no more effective than regular acetaminophen. In summary, OTC codeine is not a safe option for cough, headache, or acute pain. There is no way to tell what effect it will have on your patients. For fast metabolizers, there is an increased risk of side effects and dependency. For slow metabolizers, the codeine will simply have no effect. Taking into account the self-limiting nature of these conditions, we believe these coding products are not an appropriate OTC recommendation. Now let's discuss patients that use OTC coding to manage more difficult-to-treat conditions such as fibromyalgia, back pain, or arthritis. Would restricting OTC coding limit these patients' access to effective pain control? As pharmacists, we practice evidence-based medicine. This is how we determine if a medication is effective and appropriate for a patient's medical condition. So, let's do that. What does the evidence say? A Cochrane review in 2015 attempted to look at over-the-counter analgesics for acute pain. Although they are able to make conclusions for other OTC analgesics, they found no supportive data for OTC coding. The authors indicated that there is a major gap in the evidence for these products. There simply is no evidence for OTC codeine's effectiveness for any condition. What about higher dosages of codeine for more serious conditions? Is there any evidence for their effectiveness? A Cochrane review in 2009 looked at codeine 60 mg effectiveness compared to placebo for moderate to severe postoperative pain in over 2,000 adults. The results were less than impressive. In all types of surgery combined, 12 participants would need to be treated with codeine 60 mg instead of placebo for one to experience a useful amount of pain relief defined as a 50% pain reduction. Please note that the dosages used in these studies far exceeds the 8 mg of codeine contained in an over-the-counter Tylenol-1 tablet. Taking the equivalent OTC codeine dose would far exceed a safe dose of acetaminophen. In summary, there is absolutely no evidence for OTC codeine for any condition. Yet frequent and long-term use of codeine can result in tolerance and possibly dependency. If you apply the same standard of evidence with OTC codeine as with other medications, the risks far exceed any perceived benefit. Now let's talk about the idea that limiting access to over-the-counter codeine products will drive patients to illicit and more dangerous options. While this may be true if you were talking about OxyContin or other more potent opioids, over-the-counter codeine products play an entirely different role in opioid addiction, and thus we think this type of shift will be much less drastic. 
To understand why, we will have to examine this patient population in more detail. For the purpose of this discussion, we will split chronic OTC users into two groups. First, there are those patients that take OTC codeine to prevent withdrawal and or treat their chronic pain. These patients may be highly functioning, they may have jobs and other responsibilities, they can be essentially no different than any of your other patients. Often these patients are using codeine to self-treat a chronic condition. They may or may not have a physician that they see regularly who often is unaware of the extent of their codeine usage. A lot of these patients were given opioids for an acute injury, such as a broken ankle, a dental procedure, or some type of surgery. Once the prescription of Tylenol-3 or oxycodone is finished, they use codeine to prevent withdrawal and to continue to treat their poorly managed pain. Although these patients do not take codeine for its euphoric effect, make no mistake, these patients are highly dependent on it. They are not able to function without it, and must take it daily at increasing dosages to prevent withdrawal. These patients are unlikely to go and purchase illicit alternatives once codeine becomes prescription only. They may not know how and where to obtain them. They generally care very much about their health and do not see themselves in the same group as illicit drug users. Limiting codeine to prescription only is likely to encourage these patients to open a dialogue with a physician about their condition rather than turning to illicit options. The second group of patients we want to discuss are patients that do take opioids for the euphoric effect. Perhaps initially, these patients are able to get that euphoric effect from larger dosages of over-the-counter codeine, but tolerance will soon build. Thus, it is very difficult for non-opioid-naive users to achieve a high on over-the-counter codeine alone. The vast majority of these patients will soon move on to illicit options which easily provide a much stronger euphoric effect. For most patients, the low morphine equivalent dose in OTC codeine products relegates it to a gateway into opioid addiction and is not the drug of choice of most users. These patients may still purchase over-the-counter codeine to combine with other substances or use it to prevent withdrawal when they are unable to obtain what they normally get. Since this group already abuses illicit substances, limiting access to coding products will not push them to stronger substances. However, it may actually force them into detox where they can be treated for withdrawal safely instead of consuming large quantities of over-the-counter codeine. In summary, we believe that if you look at the role OTC codeine plays in opioid addiction, the issue of patients switching to illicit alternatives is largely irrelevant. Patients are either taking codeine to treat pain or prevent withdrawal, and thus should be more willing to seek medical attention instead of illicit alternatives. Or, they are already using illicit opioids and take OTC codeine mainly as a mechanism to prevent withdrawal. Without access to OTC codeine, neither group should substantially increase illicit drug use. So we're going to take a quick break now. After the break, we're going to be looking at some interesting facts about over-the-counter codeine. And then we're going to hear more from that patient that we heard at the beginning of the episode and how over-the-counter codeine changed her life forever. 
If you like what you're hearing, please help us spread the word on our program. Like our Facebook page or subscribe to our YouTube or SoundCloud channels. We have so many ideas for future podcast episodes. The more listeners we have, the better our ability to get people of influence to comment on our show. And if you have an idea for a great episode and you want to help us produce content, then check our Facebook page for the next Pharmacy R podcast meetup. Our meetups are held in Toronto and they're a way for you to network with other listeners and help us come up with new content for our podcast. When you find yourself idle or stagnant, it's important that you move from place to place. But if your knees start buckling, your stomach starts rustling, your ankles all swell. Oh, hell, I've been like that too, man. And here's what I do. Yeah. Did you know, in 2015, there are more than 600 million over-the-counter codeine tablets sold in Canada, which represents an estimated wholesale value of over $16 million. Did you know that many other jurisdictions across the globe, such as Russia, Hong Kong, India, Iceland, Greece, Italy, and Sweden, have codeine listed as prescription only, with the province of Manitoba recently implementing this as well? Coding is prescription only in most U.S. states, and Australia is the latest country to make this change starting February 2018. Did you know that over a nine-year period, 500 patients were admitted to Ontario addiction treatment centers where non-prescription coding was their only problem substance? Did you know that 865 people died in 2016 in Ontario due to opioids, a 19% increase from the previous year? Did you know it has been 38 years since a federal health committee first recommended phasing out non-prescription codeine? My first time that I used uh, Tylenol once with codeine was uh, approximately 19 years of age. Uh, my girlfriend had mentioned uh, for um, menstrual cramps that it, uh, it was good and uh, it worked. So I tried uh, three at the time and at that time I enjoyed the um, uh, effects that it had, it led to me taking more and more and more of them on a daily basis for the last 20 years. So I'd like to thank my patient, who will remain unnamed, for sharing her story with us. I think one of the most disappointing aspects of her story is how she was introduced to over-the-counter codeine and how she was self-treating, and because of that, she was never made aware of the risk of addiction. If we were to see our doctor and we're getting a prescribed prescription, new prescription, uh, we're going to be one curious on, on what it is. Two, we're going to read up on it, and and you know, uh, and the other one is figure out whether or not we're going to take it or not take it. But I didn't know at that time. I thought my girlfriend was doing me some good by seeing me in pain, and get you know, recommending that I take a couple of Tylenol with codeine. In fact, her family physician never prescribed anything more potent than Tylenol number twos. Never has anything past Tylenol twos.
Never has. In 22 years, I've been with him. Regarding her first experience of withdrawal. The first time I became sick from not using Tylenol 1s was a big surprise for me. I, my bones were aching. I had the sweats. I had uh, the diarrhea. Um, I had um, no appetite. Um, I had a headache. Um, and I was vomiting. Um, and it was known then that I definitely had a problem. And it was awful. And how did she fix her problem? There's numerous things I end up doing. I end up taking cabs to Shoppers Drug Mart late at night. I end up taking, um, I end up taking cabs to the closest pharmacy to me. I end up, you know, um, getting myself, pulling myself together and going to a pharmacy close by and grabbing the Tylenols and taking them and then wait for myself, for myself to get better. About 20 minutes, 25 minutes after taking them, I gradually would get, you know, each symptom that I would have would end up going away. Eventually, certain pharmacies would refuse to sell to her. And, uh, certain drugstores um, denied me um, of getting my Tylenols due to I was going in to the pharmacies every day. Certain places take down your name and telling you that you can't buy them again um, until a, a week or so. But I would there then go to drugstore to drugstore to drugstore in order to get my, my Tylenols. I asked her if this had any impact on her addiction. No, no, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't. No, because there, I mean, there's too many pharmacies in 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 the areas in order for you to still be able to get your Tylenols. So it wasn't a big. It wasn't a huge inconvenience. It was just a travel thing. I asked her how many pills she was taking, and how that escalated throughout the years. I uh, went from taking uh, probably thirty in uh, a month at the beginning of my usage of Tylenol 1s to um, an average of between 50 and 100 a day. Tolerance is an issue with any opioid and with long-term Tylenol 1 users, um, oftentimes they're taking it just to prevent withdrawal. I'm not getting what I first initially got when I first started taking Tylenols with codeine. I now um, take them to uh, monitor my my level of... um, not being sick. I asked her if she's ever been to detox and have ever accessed uh, those services. Well, detox is definitely, I mean, I, I tried uh, detox for um, four days, CAMH, a couple months ago, and um, it was mainly, it was definitely for my tonal use, and um, they took me off uh, everything, cigarettes, uh, Tylenols. The thing they kept me on was just the, the lorazepam, but the, the Tylenol I stopped taking for four days, and actually I felt a lot a lot healthier, and a lot better. I just uh, wasn't 100% ready for the the treatment that they were offering me. But the help is definitely out there for 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 anybody who needs help with using Tylenols. Part of what makes detox such a difficult option for Tylenol users is that they, it's a full commitment and they take everything away from you, like your cigarettes and, and everything else. And the alternative, which is buying Tylenol 1s from the pharmacy and continuing to do that is just so easy. It's so easily available. But see, it's, it's a very easy, easy uh, fix uh, to just walk into a drugstore and grab Tylenols to make yourself, uh, you know, your addiction is, is if your addiction is a Tylenol. You walk, walk in, you grab your Tylenols, you, you take them, you're better in 20 minutes, right? Now, overall, if you go into a detox center, you've got to commit yourself to uh, finding a placement for your children, for your, for your, if you have a job, everything that's involving your, your, your life. 
And that's the other problem with that type of treatment is that Taiwan users can be highly functioning and they have to give up everything else in their life and fully commit to that program. It's, it's a big ask. I decided to go back on methadone for numerous reasons. For one, to get myself better um, health-wise, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, to get off the, the pill that uh, has destroyed me in a great sense. I, I find the methadone program for me is uh, is uh, is working, and it's it's doing a great deal for me being off the tonos. I want to again thank her for coming on the show and sharing her experience with us. I'm looking forward to seeing her on a regular basis and continuing to help her with her therapy. And we both wanted to end the interview on a positive note. I have a close friend of mine, uh, very close and dear to me, that. Um, was using for numerous years. Um, he went on the Suboxone program, and he uh, challenged and 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 fought and and uh, pursued his goals um, on getting clean. And he's been clean for over two years now. And I'm really proud of him. And um, I hope that um, a lot more people can um, go through with their goals and uh, get better and seek treatment that's out there for us. We hope that you have found today's episode informative. We have no doubt that these products need to be prescription only. We want to leave you with one final thought before you make your comment. In Manitoba, although OTC codeine requires a prescription, pharmacists are actually authorized to write that prescription for patients. In light of all the reasons we have discussed in this episode, we believe that pharmacists should not have to carry the burden of prescribing codeine. As pharmacists, we are medication experts, and based on all the evidence, codeine should rarely ever be prescribed outside of serious injury or to treat cancer-related pain. Do not be misled into thinking that codeine prescribing is a step towards a greater scope of practice. Pharmacists want to make a real difference for our patients. We do not need or want to prescribe codeine products. We hope you join us in proving that pharmacists are not just tremendously knowledgeable healthcare professionals, but also capable of advocating for our patients' interests and well-being above all else. Please submit your comments to the government by November 8th. We encourage you to not only comment about how you believe all codeine products should be prescription only, but also how pharmacists do not want the burden of prescribing these risky and ineffective products. Instructions on how to submit your comments to the government will be in the description. Thank you for listening.